In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And in Galatians, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can grab a seat. Thanks, Seth. Good morning, everybody. We are in a series called Good Ground, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, hence the fruit baskets outside, which you can also eat those, not just the donuts, um, if you'd like. We just thought we'd offer it a banana and a chocolate old-fashioned donut. So um, as we look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's actually pretty lovely. Isn't it? Love, joy, peace, kindness. The longer I stare at it, though, um, and read it over and over again, and this is just our second uh, message in this series, so uh, we're going to do this a lot this summer. As we read that list, it can almost feel a little bit generic after a while, a little vanilla. Like, what does this actually mean? What does this look like? What, what's happening here? And I think that this morning we're going to be looking at goodness, the fruit of goodness. And I think this may be the prime example of generic. Like how generic is goodness? What the heck is even goodness? What is that? Culturally, goodness is kind of gone out of style. Like, you just listen to the way that we talk about it. Like, hey, how was the movie? Hey, it was good. Good? There's always a question mark at the end of, like, when we say, it's good. We're, like, trying to convince ourselves. That's because we want something more than good. We want to go from good to great. This is what we want. We want our lives to have, like, the soundtrack of the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. That's what we want, right? We're done with good. We supersize good. That's what we're after here. And our cultural obsession and maybe personal obsession with bigger and better leads us to constantly and tirelessly pursue something more than good. It's got to be out there. It's, it's got to be greener on the other side. Maybe the trickiest thing about goodness is that it's so subjective. Like, what do you think is good? You ever hear people say, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person. Really? Says who? Like, hey, this is a good sandwich. 
Really? Says who? Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. She's a good woman. I got a good heart. Really? What makes something good? Like, even the simplest thing, like a cup. What makes a cup good? In fact, even better than this, how many of you uh, have a Stanley cup here this morning? Let's come on, raise it up. If you got it with you, just, yeah, there you, yeah, there you go. Thank you. What makes that good? Handle, skin. Oh, there's a list. Let me tell you. Rachel goes down the list every day for me of why it is far superior, why it's a very good thing. How many of you out there are hydroflask people, right? Ten years ago, you were like the top shelf, yeah? Let's go back even a little bit farther. How many of you have Nalgene bottles? Come on, hold it down for the granola. Yeah. It's going to come back around. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Sam Mendez has had the same thing since 2002. He's just holding on, holding on hope. He was hiking uh, at the coast with his family in Haven, who's, I think, eight or nine years old, eight years old. She said, Dad, Dad, those other people with the backpacks, they have a water bottle like you. It exists. It's like a relic of times gone past. <laughs> Everyone's got a reason why that's good. We just draw the lines wherever we want to. And if you don't agree with why I think this is good, you obviously don't know anything. You obviously aren't enlightened like I am. It just works in our favor. We can draw the lines and say this is good and that's not good and that's the way it is. And if you don't want to hear other people's feedback, you can just delete them and don't have to deal with that. This is actually a result of what happened in the beginning. So this is at the beginning of our book, in Genesis, in the garden. We wanted to determine what was good, what was evil. And so we sinned, and we disobeyed what God put in front of us, the lines that he drew. And we thought, nah, I think I could, I think I could figure this out on my own. And so our attempt to become like him marred scarred and plummet, plummeted all of creation into sin and disunion with the universe, with God, with each other. This is why we started with this passage this morning that Seth read. Because to understand what God is doing in us right now through his Holy Spirit, I actually believe that we need to go to the very beginning to see what his intention was of creating us. The first time that we see that something is good in creation comes in Genesis, right out the gates. God creates this, it's good. God creates this, this is good. The whole of creation, looking at all of it, he says, this is very good. And what he's doing is he's declaring over what he's created and saying of these things, this is as it should be. It's good. Goodness is is defined by the purpose by which something was created for. So the question we could be asking about what makes something good is this. Does it do what it was created to do? I think this is going to be helpful for us as we continue to march through the fruit of the Spirit. Because, again, I, just, I, I don't want us to get lost in this like ethereal land. Like, oh, yes, love and peace and joy and 
and then just feel crushed by it because like, what does that even mean? Give me some handles. Does it do what it was created to do? I think oftentimes what we, we get in trouble with and what we get on the wrong foot with is we measure goodness just by the absence of badness. And this is where it gets a little wonky as Jesus followers because we can work hard to keep from doing all of the bad stuff that we actually end up devoting very little time to doing the good stuff that God intended for us to do, what he actually created for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork. We've been handmade, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He didn't create us to not do stuff. He actually created us to engage and do something. And we miss the point if our vision of having peace is just not being upset. We miss the picture of the fruitful life of love if it's just the absence of hate. The fruitful life of joy is just the absence of sadness. We're winning because we're not sad about anything, right? I don't think that's what joy is actually intended to do. We get into this exhausting way of working against things instead of working towards things. And it will wear us out. And I think a fruitful life in Jesus is not defined by the absence of bad things, but more so the fulfillment of us doing the good things God designed and created us to do. If your Christianity is marked just by what you don't do, I don't know if that's really Christianity. The spirit at work in us will produce goodness. This is what he's doing. He will grow us and mature us back to our original design, our original intent, what God's plan was for us. So what makes us good? What were we created to do? Anybody ever ask this question? What am, I, what am I here for? Thankfully, our origin story tells us. In the beginning, God made us in his image. He said to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's make people like us, reflect us. We are image bearers. This is what we were created for. It was to reflect God. We mirror him here in this world. And the second thing that we were created for, he made us image bearers and then he plopped us right in the middle of the garden. And what did he tell us to do? Cultivate it, steward it, subdue it, work it. We do this. We cultivate and steward the world around us to line up and reflect God as well. These are the two things that we were made for. Reflect God and then steward the world around us to make it look like him as well. To determine, I think, if we're actually growing in this fruit of goodness, I think the question is that we could ask ourselves is, do we look like Jesus? And are we making the world look like him as well? Every little sphere that you're involved in, does it look more like him now that you're there? The vision for our fruitful life in God is not the absence of sin and evil, but the flourishing of the good and beautiful ways of God in us and through us in this world. 
This is what we're putting our hands to. This is what we're working towards. And this is super important that we get this right now out the gates. Because if we're not clear that this is the mission, this is what we're after, then all we're going to do is devote ourselves to sin management. And you're going to be exhausted. We're going to invest all our time just killing weeds instead of actually tending to the garden and growing the fruit along with him. All of the laws and the rules and the guidelines, the discipline that God gives us is actually meant to help fulfill the call of our life. That's what they're there for, to produce life, the good life. Yes, we obey God's rules. Yes, we obey God's word. Yes, we rigorously kill and uproot sin from our life. Yes, but the majority of our life is to be marked by cultivating God's intention and design in us and through us in the world. We got a lot to do, and it isn't sin management. The best way I think that we can see what goodness looks like lived out on earth is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is it. We love Jesus so much in this family. Hebrews 1, 3, the sun's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. You don't get a clearer picture of what goodness looks like than God in human form. And in Jesus, we see what goodness does, and goodness does a lot. If you've ever read the Gospels, if you've ever stared at him long enough, been around him long enough, you know Jesus does a lot of stuff. What he doesn't do is wag his finger very much. What he does do is he restores and he confronts and he causes worship to bubble out of people constantly. When the fruit of goodness is maturing and growing on us, our lives will do the exact same thing. Goodness restores. It means that that goodness will bring things back to original intention. We line it back up with what God said it should be and do. This is what restoration is. Adam and Eve, they were the OG gardeners on planet Earth, and they failed miserably. And so God the Father had to send his son to embody human He wrapped himself in flesh and blood, and he came again. To, to show us and to actually fulfill what our original job was supposed to be. So he sent to redeem and restore the whole world, meaning bringing it back in line with this is what God meant for it to be like. And you can see it everywhere he goes. You just want to lean in and say, I think that's what it should be like. It shouldn't be like leprosy and debilitating diseases. And Jesus heals it shouldn't be like people who are just stuck and caught in sin. And Jesus forgives sins, wipes the record clean for people. Outcasts who were once on the in and now they're on the out for whatever reason. And Jesus brings them in close. Jesus restores everywhere he goes, every soul he encounters. He looks out and he has compassion on them. This is one of the accounts of the gospel. He looks out at a crowd like this, gathered, and he has great compassion. 
And it says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What that means is you were never intended to be outside the covering and care of a good shepherd. You were never intended to walk this life alone. And now we're all scattered. And we're all trying to survive. And Jesus' heart is breaking. And he says, no, I've come to get my sheep back. I've come to restore. I've come to redeem. I've come to gather even the most hard-hearted and hard-headed sheep and drag them back into the fold. Interestingly, at the end of uh, the Gospels, Jesus is raised from the dead. And uh, there's this scene, which I didn't... I don't know if I ever saw it before this week, but they see Jesus. They don't recognize him. He's in the garden. Do you know what they say or who they think he is? Do you remember reading this? They think he's the gardener. Isn't it beautiful? Day one, there's a new earth that's born. There's a new way. The kingdom is here, and he is going to work, cultivating Growing, setting things right. Acts 10, 38 says this about Jesus and his time on earth. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, and power, and he went around what? Doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This sums up what Jesus' mission was, and I think it sums up what our mission is as well. Jesus is still doing this today. We read in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We've been singing this. We've been exalting Jesus and saying, this is what you're doing. Even though the facts of our life don't line up with this right now, we believe. We're not shrinking back. We're not just despairing and unbelief, we believe that you are working this for our good. Redemptive goodness is coming for us. If you are in Christ, if you are being obedient to what he said, he is working it for your good. The fruit of goodness is ripe in our life when we look at anything or anyone that sin is broken or twisted or stolen, and it causes us to seek to repair and restore that person, repair or restore that thing. This is when we know that the fruit is growing in our lives. Ephesians 4 says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds 
and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We refuse brokenness in the world, but we start by refusing brokenness in our own life. We can be quick to point out everything that's wrong in the world, but Christ calls us to start first with our own life. Remove the log from your own eye. Deal with your own house before you hop on to Facebook and deal with everybody else's house. How is the attitude of your mind these days? Isn't that an amazing phrase? To be made new in the attitude of your minds. What are you putting on when you wake up in the morning? What framework do you see the world? If it was going to be a good day, what framework do you have to say this was a good day? This is the way it should be. What's the framework that you're working with? Is it a selfish framework? Like, the world would be right today if nobody bothered me. It would be a good day if everybody just minded their own business. Would that be a good day? Probably. (laughs) Would the world be right if you got the respect you deserve today? Would the world be right if you got the right relationship today, if you got what you wanted at work? The first order of business for us is to put off the old self, put off the old framework, and now we put on the new self, the new framework. We have a new attitude in our mind, and it isn't me first. It's Christ first. We don't settle for brokenness and twisted thinking and living in our own life. This is where we go to work first. We're not the center. Jesus is the center. It's his world, and we're living in it by grace. Thank you, God. We start there. We change our mind, change our attitude, and then second, We don't settle for any brokenness in God's creation either. You were put in this world for a purpose that goes beyond you just having good behavior. This is what it means when we say goodness confronts. Goodness seeks to reconcile and restore, but it actually means that we're going to have holy confrontation if we live this way. If you produce, if you have the fruit of goodness being produced in your life right now, get ready for a battle. Get ready to be bothered beyond what you can bear in the morning. We don't live passive lives as Christians, just waiting it out. We're just hunkering down and we're going to do okay until Jesus comes back. No, we are the most bothered people on planet Earth. And this is as it should be. Jesus was so bothered walking around this world because it, it, he was there. He was there when it was created and it was perfect. And now he comes back and he sees what sin has done. And he is very bothered by it. And he is also dead set on doing something about it. 
We don't just enjoy the goodness that we receive from God. We actually put that goodness on and then we put it to work in our lives for other people's benefits. It's nice. We could just like sing and worship and just kind of hang out like in a spiritual hot tub of the goodness of God. But that's not what it is intended to do. It's intended to soothe our aching hearts. This is not as it should be. And it's also to put a fire in our bones that says we will give ourselves until it is made right. Goodness carries this posture of defiance and resistance to evil in the world. This is what the Good Samaritan story is all about. In Luke chapter 10, you see this story, and it's kind of a nice kid story now, but it's totally bothersome, right? This guy is just compelled to do something about the bloody mess that ended up in front of him. He didn't plan on it. He didn't go looking for it like a superhero. He was just on his way to the store, and then something landed right in his path. And what did he do? He went towards it. He was compelled by the goodness of God. He was compelled to move towards it and to bring healing to the person. Not so with the other like fancy religious people who were a little too bothered because they had really good plans that day. They had a very important place to get to. And so they just skirted around the issue. They just skirted around the need. But the Good Samaritan moves towards it. And we are called to do the same thing. If you spot something that's broken, we step towards it. How do we help? We throw all of our resource at it. We don't just move on. This is the fruit of goodness. Not that you're just a good person. That you work tirelessly to bring back the right that was made wrong in front of you. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. This means don't hunker down. Don't get fearful in these days, church. Evil is all around us. It's growing. It's growing, and you don't have to look very far, but don't be afraid. Don't Hunker down in safety. You overcome evil by doing good. Not talking about what other people should do. Not moaning and complaining. Oh, not back in my day. It wasn't like this at all. No, what good is this? No, good moves and overcomes evil with good. Not overcomes it with good speak. It overcomes it with its own life. What can I give to make this right? This is a living legacy. It started with Christ, and now it is carried on from generation to generation to generation with the church. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. He is with us, and he's been with the church from its birth. We have a rich heritage of doing good in this world. Hospitals exist because the Holy Spirit moved on a Christian community and said, this is not as it should be. People need tending to and care, and so the church built hospitals. 
The Holy Spirit moved in creativity on educators and said, this is not as it should be. Education is way down. And so what does the church do? It creates universities because everyone should be able to read the Word of God. Everyone should have, everyone should grow in this way. Almost every single orphanage on planet Earth is being funded, run, and started by the church, by Christians who are saying to a culture that says, kids are disposable, kids are a nuisance, kids are take them or leave them. And they're discarding them. And churches stepped in and said, no, those are image bearers. And we'll take them. And we'll care for them. We have a rich, rich heritage. I don't care what TikTok is telling you right now. The single greatest force in good is the church of Jesus Christ. The only reason there is still light in this world is because his spirit is alive and living inside of us right now. We are the line. We are the ones that are advancing on darkness. We are the ones that overcome evil with good. This isn't some other organization. There is no other source of light or life in this world. It's us. This is the call. Goodness is anything but generic. It doesn't belong on a coffee cup. It belongs in a battlefield. It belongs in broken homes. It belongs in broken bodies. In broken cities. Beauty. Beauty is a part of goodness. Goodness is meant to draw our attention towards what it should be. We're going to end our time in this passage that Jesus tells us what his intention for us is. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus tells us exactly what we should be in this world. What his intention for his people will be and is currently taking place right now. You, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they would see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's not what we know. It's not our knowledge alone that will draw people to God. Look how smart those people are. Man. It's not your avoiding bad things that will draw worship out of people. Oh, they're so reserved. Gosh, Whew. praise God. I mean, although that's in these days, it's probably going to do that for some people. Your glorious display of goodness in action will disrupt people's days. It will disrupt and draw people to give glory to God. Goodness in action. We're not aiming to be just do-gooders here in Tulare. That's not what our goal is. 
We're called to be kingdom rebels who live according to God's design, God's desires, God's purposes. That's our marching orders, not what we feel like, but what he's created us to be like. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for us. And then worship team, would you come? Jesus, I want to ask that you'd help us. I just pray for... uh, I just pray for a fresh taste of your goodness. Would you restore to us the joy of your salvation? Would you do that this morning for each of us that has put our trust in you, put our faith in you, Lord? Would you come and just with your aroma, (laughs) your good scent, would you just come and fill this place, Lord? Would Would it cause us to to straighten up and would it cause us to want to align creatively with you and whoever and wherever and whatever you're calling us to lord uh we don't want to be just managers here we want dominion (laughs) as you said we could have dominion over this over over darkness over sin lord you've given us authority now and so we as your church this morning we straighten our spines because you're with us. We fix our gaze this morning, not just on your goodness, but on the brokenness of this world. And we, oh Lord, would you help us rend heaven to earth. Whatever small circle that you've put us in, whatever little garden you planted us in, in our life, Lord, oh, that we would do good. Oh, that we would bring it into alignment, into submission to your good design, Lord. Our hearts would line up. Whatever sphere you've put us would line up, Lord. Pray for your creativity to come now, Holy Spirit. Pray that you just disrupt any lies that we've believed in our minds. We're not on our heels. We're on our toes with you, Holy Spirit. Oh, that the world would taste and see that you're good, Lord. Oh, that Tulare would taste and see that you're good because we're here, Lord. Because your lamp stands burning bright here in this place. We just open ourselves fresh to you this morning. What would you have us do, Lord? What would you have us do? What would you have us believe and what would you have us act on this morning?